It's that time of year again. Conference tournaments are tipping off. Bubble teams are making their final push for a bid, while the top seeds are preparing for what they hope is a long run. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of the action. Bet $4 on an underdog, win $256 if they win. It's that simple. Pick one of many select college basketball underdogs for your shot at winning $256. All it takes is a $4 bet. Don't worry if college basketball isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on golf, hockey, and so much more. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $4 into $256 if the underdog of your choosing pulls off the upset. That's code THPN to turn $4 into $256 for a limited time only, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky. As always, I'm joined by Nick Horwat, and I see we had the same idea in mind today, both wearing our Tip of the Iceberg shirt. So good to see that we're repping the uniform for today, and good to see the Penguins were finally repping the gold uniform in a victory on Tuesday as they took down the New York Rangers 4-2 to complete the clean two-game sweep of the Rags, and finish out their homestand with a 4-1 record. Pretty good homestand, pretty good series, pretty good day today. It's pretty nice outside. <laughs> Horwat, how are you doing, buddy? Doing good. It's a working day for me, but then again, I try to make every day a working day, especially whenever I'm in the midst of looking for a full-time real job, but hey, neither here nor there. I'm here to record right now, so let's have some fun with it because the, peng- the Penguins have been having some fun with it. It seems the grind doesn't stop at all for us here at the tip of the iceberg, whether that's while we're recording for the tip of the iceberg or in our personal lives. So we we work hard to hone our craft, but let's talk about this Penn's Rangers game. The only game that has happened since our last recording. Of course, it was an interesting game because there were moments in this game that I would think the Penguins were looking as good as they did on Sunday. And then there were moments in this game where you looked at the team and you said, it's a good thing they're playing the New York Rangers because otherwise they probably would not have won the game. Let's start period by period. First period, of course, the Penguins dominated the first 10 minutes of play, and that's what I meant by they looked like the team that played on Sunday. They had 10 shots on goal in the first eight minutes of play, only had allowed two. They had a good power play that didn't result in a goal, but it was a really good power play. About three or four good chances by the first unit. I think the second unit was able to get a chance too. And then it all ended... When the one and the only Jack Johnson was able to get a goal for the New York Rangers and open up the scoring, Horwat, what was going through your mind whenever you saw that Jack Johnson opened the scoring? So I saw a bunch of people tweeting um, that he was back in the lineup. Or, you know, first it was people begging for the Rangers to put him back in the lineup, and then they did it. And then it was a lot more of thank you for the victory, easy as that. 
my immediate first thought was if I wasn't delivering, like I was in the middle of doing my job at work, so I wasn't going to try and tweet. Um, I was literally going to tweet, not at anyone, just tweet, you guys know he's going to score against us, right? Yeah. But I decided not to. In hindsight, I probably should have because I would have been right. <laughs> but, and that's the only reason why I should have. But it, because Jack Johnson's one of those players that, despite how bad he may be, when he plays against us, and I get he's played against us already this year once or twice, and it hasn't been great. He usually comes out pretty well against us. I don't have his splits in front of me. I probably should have because I know he's done decent before, especially in Columbus. So, I don't know. I just kind of had this feeling of, yeah, you all are begging for him to be in the lineup. Wait until he burns us because that's just how the world works. And he did, it seemed, for a minute, especially because we were controlling play for the first 10 minutes there. That was the issue. It wasn't so much that he scored. If he would have scored, I would have thought nothing of it. If he would have scored and, like, we were winning or something is what I'm going with. But we were controlling play. I was hearing it on the radio. Um, Josh Getzoff is one that said the Penguins seem to be buzzing right now. And then literally two minutes later, Jack Johnson puts one in the back of the net. And it's... What it's kind of what I expected. It sucks, but it's what I ex- exactly what I expected from from him and this team. The Jack Johnson saga is one that is very peculi- peculiar. If you're a Pittsburgh Penguins fan, of course, the signing was disastrous by Jim Rutherford. Of course, everybody was really against it right from the start. The two seasons he played here weren't really that great either. Uh, the postseason play was awful, and his was no exception. He was not that great with the Pittsburgh Penguins actively making them worse in certain situations. And even the end of the Jack Johnson era in Pittsburgh, the fact that he was bought out, the fact that we're going to be technically have his name on our record books for the next five years, or at least on our our salary books. And he's the only player since I believe Mario Lemieux has taken over the team that the Penguins have bought out. That's something that Mario Lemieux is very vehemently against in buying out players, I believe. I remember us talking about it whenever it happened. So that was already weird enough, and you had to know that eventually he was going to get that goal against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And the fact that it was the first goal of the game gave the Rangers the lead after the Penguins were dominating play, it just escalated that even more. Now, the goal he did score was as pretty much most goals that Jack Johnson scores. It was a fluke. He shot it on net. It hit off of John Marino, which ended up being a theme for the game and went in behind Tristan Jari. It was a good deflection by Marino. I mean, we'd love to see (laughs) that by our forwards, getting deflections like that on the other end, but, you know, Tristan Jari wasn't able to stop it. John Marino obviously didn't mean to deflect it in, and Jack Johnson got credit for the goal, and that was that. And then the Rangers take a 1-0 lead, but you're thinking if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins, okay, we had the momentum, we were outplaying them, they got lucky, and the way the Penguins have been coming back from one goal is not going to be an issue. Well, right after that goal, it didn't look great because the New York Rangers then started to dominate the pace of play and started to get more chances and started to pick the pace up on their end. And the Penguins kind of got caught flat-footed after that. It kind of took all the wind out of their sails. And luckily, before the period ended, and this was a pretty pretty big turning point in that game, Jake Gensel is able to do what Jake Gensel can do. And he snipes the puck from above the dots, Great shot past Keith Kincaid and one of the nicest goals that he has scored all year. Yeah, it's exactly what we needed too. Just a little little feeling of, hey, we're still in this because you know the Rangers were controlling play and it wasn't pretty. But I mean, Tristan Jari's doing what he can. I mean, 
and he has seemed to turn it all the way around. So it's impressive that we were able to keep it a one-goal game and then have Jake Gensel, of all people, thank God, someone like that is the one that steps up to the plate and, you know, keeps us in the game, ties it up, and keeps us going forward, keeps us trucking along, gives us some hope that we're still in this because, yeah, the Rangers aren't that great of a team, but it's not like they're the Devils or the Sabres. It's something They're the that, best of the worst teams in the East. But the thing is, they could turn it around. We're playing a Rangers team that doesn't have Artemi Panarin right now. Yeah. Let's say he comes back and has a fire under him. I'm not saying he's enough to will them to a playoff spot, but that's all of a sudden the team to worry about again. Let's say Lafreniere turns it around. That's a team to worry about. Let's say they get their goalies healthy again or their goalie healthy again, and he starts tearing the world up again. That's a team to kind of worry about. We said this at the beginning of the season. This is a lineup that can really do some damage. I mean, their defense is a little suspect at this point. But you they figure that out, and that's a team to worry about, especially considering they're not totally out of it. I mean, Philadelphia's been faltering as of late, and they're... Only six points back of Philadelphia, and I get six points in the NHL is a lot. But when you're only playing this division, mm-hmm. three games can swing quickly. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the Rangers aren't that great. Like you said, they're the best of the worst. Let's say they let's say they get their gears in check. That's a team to keep an eye on. I mean, we said at the beginning of the season, I'd have figured they'd be a lot better than this, but here we are. Yeah, with every game in this division being a four-point swing, six points could be made up in a matter of seconds. And if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins, that's a good thing because right now they're about five, six, seven games behind, or seven, not games, seven points behind first place in the division, which, yes, it's a little bit of a stretch, but with the current stretch of games coming up for the Penguins, who knows, maybe by the end of that stretch, the Penguins have a first place spot, which would be a welcomed sign, but let's not get ahead of ourselves in that much. Right. The first period ended, as we said, one-to-one. Pretty good for what the Penguins were hoping for after that goal scored by Jack Johnson. Being able to get that goal and kind of level the playing field. Second period, I think, was a lot more even. There was no team that really controlled either way it, it, from what I saw. But luckily, early on in the second period, Teddy Bluger is able to score a shorthanded goal. And I get that it wasn't technically the third line that was out there because it was a shorthanded instance. But I look at the stats of that third line, and we've never had an issue with them defensively. We've never had an issue with them in the defensive zone together. Our issue was always, this can't be a third line because they don't produce enough points. And then I looked at their stats this year, and I thought, they've been scoring a lot more frequently. And then I looked at the stats comparatively. Last season, Teddy Bluger finished with nine goals. Zach Aston Reese finished with six, and Brandon Tanev had 11. So they combined for 26 goals last year. This year, they're already at 14, and let's also consider the fact that Zach Aston Reese has only played in 14 of the Penguins' 24 games so far. And Bluger has four. Aston Reese has five. Tanev has five. These guys not only are scoring and putting the puck in the net, they're getting more scoring opportunities, so it's not necessarily all translating on the score sheet. I think they've become a really good third line, and I know at the beginning of the year... I told you and I said on this podcast several times, if you have to break that line up, break that line up because these players seem to be able to help whatever line that they're on, especially a guy like Brandon Tanev. But 
if they're able to play like this, why break them up? Um, I think because other lines could use the help. I think that's kind of the only reason why you would is because maybe Tanev needs to jump to start something or, or hell, just Jankowski isn't getting it done and maybe he needs to be pushed to the fourth line so Bluger can play up a line. It's that could be the only reason because they are, you know, they do have this great chemistry of being great, a great shutdown line, but also these contributors um, offensively now all of a sudden. So the only reason why you would break them up would be to jumpstart someone else. I mean, it's kind of what they did with Tana for a little bit. It's just mm-hmm. him specifically. Um, bumping him up to the second and first line to get something rolling somewhere else. I mean, the great consequence of that is that a guy like Kapanen is able to also play anywhere. So let's say you take Tanev or Aston Reese off that third line. That shouldn't be a third line, but here we are. Um, let's say you take one of those two off that third line. You put Kapanen there, and it's still something to worry about because now you got possibly Tanev and Kapanen just burning every defenseman imaginable with their speed. Um, or maybe just creating open space for Aston Reese to sneak in another goal that he apparently is able to do. <laughs> it's That's the only reason why you'd break that line up is to jumpstart someone else, and that's the only reason I can think of to break it up at this point. It's That's just how impressive they are. I still don't like them as a third line because of the, of the nuances of how they're just so defensively minded. So mm. it feels weird to have that be your third line, but I mean... If they're able to contribute offensively, which they are, I mean, Bluger of all people is on pace for a career year in a shortened season. Granted, he's never played a full 82-game season, but um, it's interesting. It's it's quite the story to watch on those three and to see what they can do. I mean, plus, our fourth line is just abysmal, so they kind of have to be the third line because they're at least something. And maybe that's why they're contributing. Maybe they know that, like the guys behind him aren't going to. I mean, when's the last time, oh, Jankowski, Sevier, hell, Lafferty's not in there anymore. And like, when's the last time one of those guys scored a goal? Was it that Sevier goal in Washington? Or here against Washington that we had to like review for 20 whole minutes? It's That's definitely the last one that comes to mind. Obviously, Jankowski hasn't scored since the Philadelphia games. Yeah. Sevier, that was his last goal, and I can't think of anybody else. I know Evan Rodriguez's first goal was, and only goal was in that Washington game, and we'll talk about Evan Rodriguez coming up in a little bit here. But yeah, the fourth line hasn't contributed a goal, it seems like, in yeah. multiple, multiple, multiple weeks. And Rodriguez and, was on the first line when he scored that one. Like that's that's where true. I'm yeah, he from. didn't even he play was, on the fourth line. So that fourth line, I mean, well, I know Angel hasn't scored yet, and I don't think Lafferty has yet. O'Connor only had an assist. Um, I genuinely, I'd have to look into that now. I genuinely don't think that fourth line has scored a goal since that Washington series. Yeah. So brutal. you need something from them. And I even looked on, on Tuesday when I'm watching the game after Kapanen scored that goal. And I was like, okay, so Gensel and Crosby hooked up for the first goal. Bluger, although shorthanded kind of represents that third line. He scored the second goal. Kapanen and Malkin and Rodriguez on that shift, absolutely amazing, and we'll get into that in a second. Mm-hmm. Absolutely amazing shift and a fine finish by Kasperi Captain. They score a goal. Okay, the second line is chipped in. 
On Tuesday, every line except the fourth line chipped in and put a goal in. So that's depth scoring kind of 75% of the way on the forwards end. You just, that fourth line needs to do it at some point. It's not like we're asking them to score every other game because that, I mean, it'd be nice at that point. You basically are the Stanley Cup champions if you have your fourth line scoring with the same regularity that the rest of the team is scoring. But one in a month would be nice. Yeah, it's... Oh my god, it's bad. We thought, like, we saw the first two games. We saw Jankowski and Tanev have this this forgotten chemistry mm-hmm. that we thought maybe Jankowski is rebuilding, revitalizing his career here. Finally, something good for us down low. A good third line center who was tall, because that's what we love. Nothing since then. Absolutely dog shit. I wrote a damn story on how good the third line was, man. <laughs> You might want to delete that before anybody actually reads that again. I'm not going to delete it. I'm just going to roll with it, still post it, and see what happens. But just, it's incredible what happened there. I mean, maybe that was just first flukes of the first two games, but um, so be it. They just look bad now, and something's got to be done there. I don't know if you want to make a move, but it's an interesting thing to keep an eye on because... You said last episode Jankowski has been snake bitten. So maybe he turns around at some point. Maybe something falls in his lap. But I mean, the fact that we put Sevier on the taxi squad doesn't help anything. No, not at all. And the fact that he had to play because of McCann's injury is also not a good indicator. Yeah. So it's who knows what they're going to do with the fourth line. There might be a move to be made to bring in anybody to play on that fourth line and produce something. Uh, but that, again, is up to Ron Hextall and Brian Burke, not us. Yeah, I mean, uh, there was a lot of people clamoring to pick up Simone off waivers. The issue with that is you'd, uh, you'd have to wait two weeks for him, man, or a week or whatever it is. Yeah, and I'm not sure Simone's the answer for the no. bottom six there. No, I get I get the idea that the whole idea was anybody is better. Okay, well, there are guys dropped on waivers every day. Why specifically Simone? Why not any of these other guys that are getting dropped? If literally anyone is better, why not someone like that rather than just doing a recoup project? Because that's not going to work. Don't get me wrong. I would have liked the idea because, I mean, we've seen what he can do. The issue with that is we're going to get him. You know where we're going to put him? With Crosby on the first line because that's where he played when he was here. No, they wouldn't break up Rust and Gensel just because we reacquired Simone, but it would definitely be something that crept into the mind of Mike Sullivan. I would guarantee that. They wouldn't, but you know Sullivan would think about it. Yeah. So I think we've discussed the fourth line. I mean, we're going to be discussing the fourth line up until the trade deadline in April. So hopefully the Penguins figure something out. And who knows, maybe instead of trying to get fourth liners, they try to get a couple wingers for the third line that Mark Jankowski could play with and hopefully revitalize his game because I don't think they're doing him any favors by putting him on a line with a guy like Colton Sevier, with a guy like Sam Lafferty has not played well. I mean, he's been fast, but with the puck, he is just an absolute train wreck this season. So who knows what's going on with the fourth line. But the second line is starting to pick up really well. And of course, that was shown by the fact that they had a 21-pass sequence that led to the Kasperi cap and an eventual game-winning goal on Tuesday Evgeny Malkin carrying the puck with confidence, passing the puck with confidence. Evan Rodriguez being able to facilitate there gets his second assist in two games. 
not bad on his part. And then defense also helping as well. Kapanen finishes it off, has a great selly, and that ends up being the game-winning goal. Just a great sequence there by the second line. Bananas. That's what that whole sequence was. That whole shift. I have to watch Jesse Marshall's video on it because he broke the whole thing down. Mm. And it, I have nothing else on it. It left me incredibly speechless. I think it left Kapanen in speechless whenever he mm. scored it. Um, I didn't know what was going on. I, I think it was... Whoever it was on TV, can't remember their name now, Steve Mears. Um, I think he said three times while they were passing it around, this looks like a power play. Three times in that 21-pass yeah. sequence, you said the same handful of words. That's impressive. I mean, yeah. it it almost felt like we weren't going to score whenever it was getting to the point of, okay, can we turn this into something, please? I mean, I get we're getting great opportunities and looking phenomenal, but please capitalize on this because you know the Pittsburgh way. The Rangers are going to take it, bolt it right down and score, right? We've seen this before. We need to capitalize on this. And they did, thankfully. That's not even just the Pittsburgh way. That's just the hockey way. When one team has great possession, has so many great opportunities in a row and is buzzing and they don't capitalize, I would say, and this is obviously not a true fact, but I would say 90% of the time the other team scores on the next shot. Meanwhile, that's a, this is that is like exactly how most of this game went. Yeah, exactly. Because there's a few more. I mean, we already mentioned the one in the first period with Jack Johnson scoring, and we'll get to one in the third that, or a couple in the third that I noticed. Yeah. So it that's just the way this game went. Yeah. Let's move on to the third period really quickly. But before we do that, I do have a little little thing I want to talk to everybody about. There is a new podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. It seems like we're adding podcasting, great podcast every week and it's fantastic how much content we really do give out here at the hockey podcast network but the newest podcast is called we're all a little crazy with theo flurry darren Ravel, and eric cussin now the podcast is about mental health sports society experiences and education of course there will be an entertainment factor as well this podcast aims to serve both similar percentage of allies to mental health initiatives and bring a bigger outside audience who can get a lot of great insight from these guys mantra which is quote people dealing with mental health it's not one in five it's five and five and also share their experiences and bring in guest opinions i'm very excited for this particular podcast i i love a lot of the podcasts on the network i listen to a lot of them regularly but i'm very excited for this podcast to start, of course, Theo Fleury is a very, very famous name when it comes to, I don't want to say famous name, but when it comes to trying to end the stigma of mental illness and mental health. Important. And, important. Yeah, important name. And we both talk about it a lot. Anytime it comes up, we like to, to talk about it. We like to try to end, help end the stigma as much as we can here on on our podcast. And I'm very excited that this is going to be part of the network now. So whenever it comes out, definitely check it out. We're going to be posting about it on our social media at Iceberg Podcast. The second that first episode drops, we'll be posting about it. So definitely check it out. It was the, sorry, I'm running out of words. We're all a little crazy podcast. So definitely keep an eye out for that. Yeah, keep an eye out for that. And this is not the first time Theo Fleury has made his name on the Hockey Podcast Network. Back when Hockey to Heroin was still with us, mm-hmm. um, he did an episode on there that was really good. So if you can find that, it was a while ago that it came out, but if you can find that somewhere and wherever you get your podcasts, um, that's a great episode. And his first little inkling, Theo's first little inkling in joining the network, apparently. 
that's awesome though. That's a cool, um, a just a name to have and be an awesome, awesome sounding uh, show that uh, you'll ever everyone will have to tune into and listen. And I did want to talk about that a little bit, just yeah. give us a, a break in the action of talking about the Penguins win. So definitely check that out, and we'll get back to talking about the Pittsburgh Penguins here in the third period, which was rough. And I think that's to say the least, to be completely honest. Tristan Jari was the only thing in that third period that I saw that was above and beyond. He definitely, and we always say it, eventually you're going to need your goalie to steal a game. Tristan Jari is the reason the Penguins got those two points on Tuesday. Oh, yeah. Overall, oh, yeah. Overall, 33 saves on 35 shots. He got his overall save percentage on the season back up to 900, so hopefully we can build on that. Two massive saves in the final minutes, like 10 bell saves in the final minutes of the game. And then if you even look at the whole game, both goals that were scored on him were deflected off of specifically John Marino. Jack Johnson's shot from the point and then Strom's shot on the power play. That was not even a shot. It was a pass and it just deflected past Tristan Jari. So for all intents and purposes, and I know it's not going to show up on any score sheets. I know it's not going to show up on any stat sheets. But to me, that was Tristan Jari's first shutout of the season. Oh, okay. I like that idea. Um, he definitely played like it was first shutout of the season. I mean, not letting up a goal in the entire third period, given the weight, right? Or is that second? Or wait. He gave up one goal. Okay, that second goal wasn't the third. Uh, my timeline just lost because that just seemed like a very, very long period. Yes. Um, but yeah. Only giving up one goal, and it must have been early in that case, in the third period, um, is pretty impressive and very good considering just how much, let's be honest, the Rangers just dominated the play. It seemed like every chance the Penguins had was just squandered one way or the other, and Jari decided to really make it his game and prove that he is definitely all the way back, which is kind of what we wanted Mm -hmm. and what we needed, especially, so... It's good to see that. I mean, God, those saves, too, were massive because that was the situation where, okay, Jari's standing on his head. Let's go capitalize because there is literally an empty net. He just made three phenomenal saves. We know he's letting in the next one because that's how <laughs> hockey works. Um, and then Brian Russ went down and hit the post, and I said, oh, my God, we're screwed. They're tying this game because that's how hockey works. Thankfully, Crosby was able to pick it up and bury it, but still, like – that was the third point of that's how hockey works. And I'm saying that 80,000 times and I apologize, but when you're dominating or someone is doing so good at one end, you gotta capitalize on it. And that one was easy for the Penguins because there was an empty net. Then Brian Russ hits the post and I see New York pick it up and I immediately turn away from the TV because I know Jari's gonna let in just a butterfly. Like, it's... (laughs) Go ahead on your portion of that because I was just I was dumbfounded by that whole sequence too. Whenever once the Rangers pulled their goalie, and even before Brian Rust hit the post on the empty net, the first chance that the Rangers had was a for Jari. It was a right to left play, and he was able to get his pad up on it. And then the Penguins come the other way. Keith Kincaid was still in the net. Right. Sidney Crosby beat him clean and rang it off the post. It was probably the loudest post shot of the season for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And it just beats Kincaid clean and comes straight back out. And then the Rangers take it down. 
there's an opportunity for them again. And Jari, for the second straight time, makes a 10-bell save. And then, of course, the Rangers just continue to have possession of the puck there and continue to get opportunities, and Tristan Jari kept standing tall. Then, of course, as you mentioned, Brian Rust hits the post on an empty net. Then, more chances for the Rangers. It came down to being 15-1 to in shots on goal in the third period. The only shot on goal for the Penguins in the third period was the empty net goal by Sidney Crosby, 19 minutes and 28 seconds in. So Tristan Jari, when I say stole this game, I mean theft one, put the man away for 10 years. This was a highway robbery. And I know that doesn't make sense. Okay. Either way, Tristan Jari stole the game for the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Penguins themselves, the forwards, the defensemen, I'm sure they got reamed out by the coach after the game the most that you can after a victory because one shot on goal and that being on an empty net almost an entire period in is bad. The last time I can remember that going that long without a shot on goal and still winning a game was game one of the 2017 finals. Uh, because think- that, was more than, that was more than 19 minutes and 28 seconds. But that also happened between the second and third period. This is the entire third period when trying to hold on to a lead and they didn't get a muster up a single shot on goal. I think the Penguins last season went an entire period plus without a shot, but I think they lost the game. Yeah. I could be wrong, but winning, yeah, it's got to be that uh, game one game. But yeah, like we've had this issue a lot recently where, because I mentioned like we had this game last year where we didn't get a shot in the an entire period plus and... This seems to be a common thing with us. Mm-hmm. We're not getting shots off. I mean, that's why our power play sucked for a while. We're not shooting the puck enough. And now here we are. Did we get a power play in the third? I don't remember. Me neither. Um, anyway, but yeah, no, it's been that has been a common theme with us is not shooting the puck enough. I mean, that's not good. I mean, it's <clears throat> on a team like this, against a team like that against their backup goalie, no less, third-string goalie, no less, with Jack Johnson as one of their defenders, how are you not just rifling it from the blue line every time? Or the center line? Like, how are you not just getting it and just giving it a shot? Deck hockey at that point. Mm -hmm. I get it's the NHL, and they're still NHL players, but how are you not just getting shots on net? Just when you get possession, just give it a shot. Something's going to float in. And to that point, and I won't harp on this because it bothers me literally every time it happens. If Evgeny Malkin has the puck on a two-on-one, every defenseman in the National Hockey League and probably defenseman in the Continental Hockey League over in Russia know that he's going to pass the puck. I don't know what has happened to Evgeny Malkin that on two-on-ones he will not shoot the puck, but it happened again on Tuesday where he deferred to a pass, couldn't complete the pass, and just completely ended the Penguins two-on-one without even a threat of scoring a goal. So I would like to see him start to shoot the puck more on -on two-on-ones. I know he's been coming around in his overall game, but that is still something that is bothering me and is something that happens, it almost seems like, every game, especially with the way that him and Kapanen have been able to get open and find each other. But at the end of the day, they got the win. At the end of the day, they were the only team in the East Division to win a game in regulation on Tuesday, which is also big, especially considering how far behind the Penguins are and regulation wins. There was a stat that I saw that that was their 14th come from behind victory on the season. I thought that was crazy, especially when I realized they've only won 15 games. So 
pretty insane stat there. And that stat is, hey. to add to it, it's the most any team has done in their first 25 games, either ever or in the last decade. It's one of the two. Yeah. Which is, so, a, you know, a big difference between 100 and some years and 10 years. So, you know. Yeah. Either way, it's a damn impressive stat. It's something that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. And honestly, the motto of the year from the tip of the iceberg, it doesn't matter how they did it. It matters about how many times they did it. And like they did that. it once on, on Tuesday, got the victory. They uh, are now in solo possession as of right now of third place in the Mass Mutual East Division. Now they're still in fifth, technically, in win percentage and points percentage. So we'll, we'll start to work on that. But slowly but surely, the Penguins are putting themselves in a better position in the standings. Yeah, people keep getting on that uh, points percentage thing. I understand that it is important. At the same time, though, I genuinely feel like every team's going to play all 56 now. It's been a while since we've had the um, cancellations or delays because of COVID reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I did see a tweet the other day that said there are currently four players across the league on the COVID protocol list, whereas I think it was like three weeks ago there was way more. So yeah, clear. there were times where there was six or seven players on any given team. Yeah. So it seems like something's gotten figured out, something's gotten through, who knows. Um, but I'm I, I mean maybe it's just me, but I feel like at this point every team's going to get all their games in. It might be a slugfest at the end. Mm-hmm. I mean maybe I mean I'm knock on wood, maybe more things happen that you know, we that maybe I lose this thought, but for now I genuinely feel like everything's looking okay. You know, fans are starting to come back into stadiums and arenas, so that's a, also a step in the right direction. And the vaccine rollout, at least in certain states, I believe, is going fairly well. So, mm. and let's be honest, most athletes are probably going to get it before me and you and everyone listening here get one. So, things seem to be going okay for the NHL. Who knows, maybe by the time the playoffs are in, there's more attendance. And I just am at the point of I feel like every team is going to get every game in. So, I mean, yes, yeah. definitely do keep an eye on points percentage and all that. But at the same spectacle, I just personally, it's just my thoughts. Again, people could disagree, and I would understand that. I think everyone's going to get it all in. I think it's a successful season, or at least it will be, with a little speed hump at the beginning. But that happens. <laughs> yeah, they had to have a grace period of when they had to figure out what they were doing. But as of right now, yes, all signs are pretty good for the NHL handling their COVID situation. But... For the Pittsburgh Penguins next up, they finally get to play the Buffalo Sabres. And I say get to play kind of tentatively because they could go out and lose both games to the Sabres. Who knows what can happen? Because Buffalo, although they are a pretty dismal team this year, although they are going to be without Jack Eichel for both games against Pittsburgh, we've seen them beat the Penguins when they weren't supposed to. So I will hesitate a little on saying get to play the Buffalo Sabres, but the Penguins will finally meet the Sabres this week. And they will play them for the first time on Thursday, which is when this episode comes out. So we'll see how they stack up against the worst team in the division. They also the Sabers also were they didn't, but they were beating the Flyers. Yeah, we we texted each other back and forth on that. Probably shouldn't have. Probably jinxed it. I was just more worried about the fact that Carter Hart was in net for them, and there's a whole bag of stuff to discuss about him but mm-hmm. we don't have to i'm just saying um the jack eichel sabers are coming to town or are we going to buff we're going to buffalo we're going to buffalo yeah our, um, our our home stand is over at five games 
Yeah, but then we come back like almost immediately, don't we? Yeah, those are the only two road games, I believe, in the month or something. I heard something like that. I think there's a quick home and home with the Devils like toward the end, unless that's next month. I don't remember exactly, but yeah. Yeah, we have two road games against or one road game. I don't know. Yeah, we have two road games against the Devils. Sorry, I'm looking at my calendar that has literally everything in my life on it, so it's pretty confusing sometimes. But, yeah, the Penguins have four more road games this month, which is not a lot, and they're against Buffalo and New Jersey. So we'll see how they do with that. We have a couple more things to talk about before we go to break, but after break, we do have an interview with Jay Fresh on tap for you guys. It is a great interview, of course. Second time we've been joined by Jay Fresh, so we hope you enjoy that. That'll be coming up, like I said, in a couple minutes. We do have a couple other things to talk about, some news and notes about the Pittsburgh Penguins, and the league had some pretty good news on Tuesday as well. Let's start off with the fact that Mike Sullivan, that victory on Tuesday is win number 299 for him on his coaching career in the NHL. 229 of those victories are with the Pittsburgh Penguins. He has a 633 points percentage, which is really good as a head coach in the NHL. And with the Pittsburgh Penguins specifically, his record is 229 wins, 124 losses, and 41 overtime losses. A really good record for the two-time Stanley Cup champion. And his next victory will be, obviously, victory number 300. Let's hope he can do that on Thursday against Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, I think we are all well aware that sooner or later, assuming he's not in a hot seat like a lot of people want him to be, uh, I think we can all safely assume he will be the Penguins' winningest head coach ever once his time is done here. Because, I mean, it's possible he breaks it this year. Um, if not this year, definitely next. So he's in good company when it comes to that. And 300, 300 correct, you said? Yeah, 300 yeah. victories. 300 victories for a coach. I mean, I don't know how coaches are for other teams, but the Penguins kind of just roll through them. So 300 seems like a big number to us. Yeah, even I mean, good coaches. The yeah, Penguins just roll through. Yeah, I mean it's not obviously it's not Scotty Bowman numbers, but I mean he also coached eighty years it seems. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's uh, any any hundred milestone in this league is a uh, it's a big one, especially when it's mm-hmm. wins as a head coach, especially when you haven't been coaching for all that long. I mean he only had what six years. Yeah, two seasons in Buff- in Boston before us. He I think. had two or three, and he only had. What, like 70 then? Six, yeah. 69 or 70 wins? So maybe like a season and a half. I don't know. But, um, yeah, it's yeah, it's impressive stuff for him. I mean, we whenever we picked him up to be the Wilkes-Barre Scranton head coach, I think we all kind of knew he was the next guy up for us. We just had to kind of get him involved in the system, get him tuned in, and, well, then he came in and implemented his Wilkes-Barre team here to win two cups and then he's just i mean yeah playoff success was one thing but we're, that's those aren't the wins we're discussing Mm-mm. we're discussing yeah, this, those regular this completely season takes out all of his playoff wins exactly we're discussing his regular season wins and whether you like him at this point want him fired at this point or not he's going to be the winningest penguins head coach so get used to him if you're not already used to him so a quick early congratulations to Mike Sullivan, because if he does end up doing it on Thursday, we won't have another podcast till Monday. And at that point, it'll be a little far out of out of circulation. So we're hoping he picks it up on Thursday, if not on Saturday. And just congratulations to him on a good career so far. And let's hope he gets career win number 300 the next time the Penguins 
play, which is, of course, Thursday. Jared McCann news now. Uh, he did get placed on the IR pretty much the day after Mike Sutherland said he was day-to-day with an upper body injury. I believe he's still day-to-day with an upper body injury. Uh, they haven't said that he's out longer term or anything like that. And they made the IR placement retroactive to the day he got injured last Sunday on the 7th, which is good because that means he'll be eligible to return on the 14th at the earliest, which means he is going to miss the next two games against Buffalo. But if he is day-to-day and if he is on track to come back by that day on the 14th when he's first eligible to be taken off the IR, then it's only two games and, and it could have been a whole lot worse. Well, three if you include Tuesday, but it could have been a whole lot worse. You just hope that McCann can get healthy because of how well he was playing, and you hope that he comes back playing the exact same way that he was before he got injured. Yeah, he's an important piece right now, especially if he keeps that play up. It's, oof, you didn't want to see it. It's not an injury you wanted to see because he just came back from one, and he was playing so well that um, he looked like the perfect fit to fill in for Zucker, who we forgot kind of forgot was hurt right no i i i have that etched in the back of my memory right now (laughs) i mean so do i just it's just we look good so you don't really when your team looks good you don't often think about the guys that are hurt because it's the guys that are on the ice that are performing well um the only time you really think about the guys that are hurt is if it's malkin or cross because you're thinking imagine this team now with those guys i mean yeah this could be a great situation of that though like imagine this team now if Zucker was healthy and playing like he was last year, and then McCann healthy, plus how he's been playing this year. I mean, we're but we're playing fine. We're working through it, and that's what we need. So, as for McCann, do we know what the injury was? I totally forget now. Upper body injury. Hey, you know what? That's all I need to hear. Yep. Uh, so yeah, hopefully it is just these couple of games, and looks like we got a lot of games coming up the rest of this month. So, well, it's a busy week next week for sure. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So to take the news a little bit further away from the Pittsburgh Penguins here and to the grand scope of the NHL, news came out on Tuesday that the NHL and ESPN agreed to a TV deal, and we knew a new TV deal was coming. There was a little bit of suspicion that ESPN would be involved, and now here's the news that they've officially signed a seven-year broadcasting deal according to multiple media reports. And the rest of this I have down here from The Athletic. The previous exclusive rights holder for the NHL in the U.S. was obviously NBC, whose contract with the league ends after this season. Sportsnet was the first to report of the agreement between ESPN and the NHL. The move will give ESPN the rights to broadcast four Stanley Cup finals from 2022 to 2028, according to multiple reports. Per Sportsnet, the deal also provides streaming rights for Disney. A lot of interesting things in there. For one, for the first time in as long as I can remember, there's going to be a new home for the NHL outside of NBC in the United States on a national level. And for this, also for the first time, the NHL is not going to have an exclusive rights holder, which is going to drive the price up, which is great for the NHL. That's why the TV deal was so huge. Not because of the state of the game, which is in a pretty good spot all things considered with the COVID virus. But the fact that now they have ESPN, who's going to be bidding with NBC for certain games, that's going to drive the prices of those games and the rights of those games up. And the fact that they're splitting Stanley Cup finals is also something that's going to drive revenue for the league more than it has at all since NBC has had the exclusive rights. 
It's the old Super Bowl thing. You're going yep. into every year with, all right, who's hosting it this year on TV? Um, that's It's such a huge deal. I mean, how many times have people been watching SportsCenter or ESPN and wondered why there's no hockey talk? Well, because legally, I guess you could throw asterisks around that, um, legally they want they want they don't want to because maybe they because di- they didn't have the rights they weren't paying for it why the hell would they waste their time on it well now yeah. here they are with some TV branding and some rights holding and that's a big deal for the growth of the game obviously but also uh, give me Stephen A Smith between the benches please and please thank don't you. oh no, come leave, on leave leave Stephen A Smith away from this sport please. Oh, why? I think that'd be amazing. I've already seen tweets just saying, no. give us the best name that you want to see Stephen A. Smith have to throw into one of his rants. Andrei Svechnikov. Svechnikov is a good one. Someone said Leon Dreisaitl. Just because Valerie Nishkushkin. Just <laughs> yeah. Kel Grigorenko. Yeah, just, no. Leave Stephen <laughs> A. Smith the hell out of the NHL. Oh, man. ESPN historically has not been great with covering hockey for, for reasons you mentioned and also for reasons that not because they didn't own the rights but because of that they just didn't care to put money into it so they didn't really they don't have a large nhl staff right now barry melrose <laughs> who by the way they're gonna need on. to fix it fix that because i'm not a fan of barry melrose i think he's an absolutely awful commentator he might be a good hockey mind but he can't speak for crap i i, I don't know i just I don't like watching him on television. I don't think he's a really good commentator, but some people might disagree with me. But good on ESPN, and hopefully I would imagine they're going to sink the money into this that they would any other sport now that they actually have rights, and I think that's going to drive them to put a lot more product out there and a lot more content out there and hopefully grow the sport in the United States because whenever you think about sports in the United States, ESPN is 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 the main stakeholder in that. So hopefully this helps grow the sport as well as get some money for the NHL. And it, it, it all should be a good thing for the National Hockey League in, in the United States. Yeah, it should be. I mean, you might be in the minority of not wanting to see Stephen A. Smith around the game. Just, he no. brings eyes. Let's start there. He brings a ton of eyes, a ton of viewership. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not actually meaning, hey, put him between the benches. Just, yeah. if he wants to, I mean, the man makes more money than we will ever be able to see in our lives Fair. if he wants to he'll he'll do it because he'll request that spot but even if he's not having the ability to throw steven yes yeah, steven a smith on his show just discussing you know i don't know a playoff series uh. it's somewhat important you kind of realize that a guy like him on first take will be discussing hockey that's something that he's probably never done on first take i'm sure he's discussed hockey before he's been around sports center for how long now i it it'll bring eyes to the game it's one way to grow the game for sure and that's the only reason i can think of it plus he's just pure entertainment value again imagine him trying to say some of these names off the cuff without really learning them. i mean i'm sure he's a hard worker i'm sure he'd learned them before he went into a discussion like that yeah you don't make money like that without being a hard worker exactly so <laughs> I just think it'd be fun entertaining. Plus, everyone's you know clamoring to get Gary Thorne back, Steve Levy, who's who's still there, but can now do hockey again. Mm-hmm. There are they do have names that um, is Gary Thorne still there? Whenever I say they have names, I don't even no. remember. Yeah. No. Okay. Well, 
they have a handful of people that um oh john butchergrass they have a handful of people that are hockey minded and will be involved i think butchergrass has called games before not nhl games but like college games and stuff like that so he might get involved in that professionally which would be awesome um I mean, he's already bringing his overtime challenge along with him. So maybe that gets a little more press and that gets way more fun. This is all around from a standpoint of money, TV rights, and now you bring in the overtime challenge, a social media aspect, throw Stephen A. Smith into that social media thing. This is huge. It's massive. And I just keep, I haven't really thought about it too much until throwing it in front of my, throwing it into this microphone, which is why I'm kind of rambling, ranting, and just mm. giving all these thoughts. But hey, that's why we have this podcast. Um, yeah. Yeah, it should be a big deal, and it will be a big deal, and it'll be awesome to see. As for who starts, in, as for who's behind the mic for them, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, they have, they do have talent there that is in their NHL department. I know one name that comes to mind for me is Nabil Kareem. I watch him on In the Crease basically every time that he's there. Whenever Linda Cohn can't make it, and I think he is a very good reporter for the in covering the NHL there. So they have talent there and it'll be nice to see what they can do once they actually sink some money into it. Now that they have a vested in, vested interest in the league. So good on the NHL for inking this deal seven years. It's a big deal getting ESPN. And now we'll see if NBC in kind, which I would imagine is going to basically take up the other half yeah. of the broadcasting rights. Yeah. That's the part of it that I wanted to get into is the fact that, you know, ESPN has four the next seven years. Um, not including this year's not even, it's yeah. not on the contract. So you would imagine that next year would be the first year and yeah. then they would break up eight evenly four and four. Yeah. That's, I, that's kind of what I was going for there. I mean, mm-hmm. I would definitely assume it's NBC that sticks around, ex- but they would get only big time national because they are folding NBCSN, aren't they? I think I heard that somewhere. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, so I think they're folding so. SN, so that kind of puts them in a little bit of a rut. But I would assume NBC still takes it and gets like just the just the big time your Sunday afternoon holiday playoff games playoffs the the cups that they can get. Yeah, yeah. Because... We're not going to be seeing Stanley Cup playoff games on USA anymore. So that's honestly, basic, that's that's basically all this means. Yeah, which is probably just dead to rights on Wednesday night rivalry, which they turned into Wednesday night hockey anyway. Um. But I'm assuming we wouldn't be getting that anymore. ESPN doesn't do much on Wednesdays. Sure, hockey will be no. on their Wednesdays if they if they want to keep pushing Wednesday as the day at least. Uh, probably not. I think Wednesday is a big NBA day for them. Oh, there's that. I mean, we know we, we know we're not getting Monday nights. Not in the fall or in winter. No. Wait, ES? No, ABC is back in on that. Never mind. All right. So yeah. Yeah, TV stuff can get confusing because it's always flowing and contracts are always yeah. expiring. So we won't try to dive too much into it anymore. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we have our interview with Jay Fresh. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. This episode of the Tip of the Iceberg is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Got a crazy bush? I may not be a contractor, but even I know that if you trim your hedges, your tree stands taller. This is why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Millions of balls are about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. 
featuring advanced skin-safe technology to keep your soldier polished and cut-free. If you're like me and like to handle this kind of business in the shower, the Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof and features an LED light, so even guys as blind as I am can see what they're doing. If you are listening to me, you are one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product, and you too can experience it firsthand. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THPN at manscaped.com. Again, that's code THPN for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Trust me, your balls will thank you. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. We are joined now by a very special guest. We are joined for the second time by Jay Fresh of Jay Fresh Hockey. Jack, how you doing, buddy? Not too bad. How about you guys? We're doing good. We're doing good. Fans are coming back, um, and that's something just to get used to. It's weird that we had to get used to fan- to games without fans, but now that they're back, it's time to start getting used to that again, right? Is it weird to say that? Are you guys uh, among the fans heading in there? I am, yes, actually. <laughs> I got lucky enough to be one of the first few in the season ticket holder ring that uh, my buddy also came home from Europe this week, So, and he has season tickets, so he's kind of the one that uh, got on the train first. I'm still yet to talk to my family about what they're doing with it. No, fair enough. Yeah, but I'll still be there, and it'll be fun. <laughs> Let's start talking a little bit about the Penguins on the ice because it has been an interesting, interesting case study this year. Jay, who do you think has been the best forward and defenseman for this team? Because there's been kind of a mismatch when it comes to the good players and the bad players on the Penguins this year. So to you, who's been the best forward and who's been the best defenseman? So the best forward is uh, is Crosby. Like, I, I don't think there's really much doubt about that. I mean... You know, obviously kind of Rust and, and Gensel have, have both been pretty strong, but I think it's pretty clear that Crosby's running the show. Uh, any concerns that there might have been about how he was, you know, if maybe his defense took a bit of a hit last year or, or how he looked in the playoffs, I think he's done a pretty solid job of putting that totally to rest. Like I would, if he can start to kind of get the point totals that, uh, you know, I think his, his plate deserves but haven't necessarily translated to, you know, and, and the Penguins can make the playoffs, I, like I would have him firmly uh, – in kind of the the forgotten section of the uh, the MVP race. Uh, I, as for defensemen, like can I just say nobody? Like it's uh, it's kind of tough to really pick a guy who's been super impressive because like in in the past couple of years we've been able to point to uh, you know Latang uh, being an elite offensive defenseman. Last year we had Marino who uh, you know put put in kind of crazy defensive performances night after night. You know this year I mean you kind of have to. You know, you're always taking the good with the bad. I mean, you know, Marcus Pedersen has been, you know, pretty good. Pierre-Olivier Joseph has been, you know, impressive for a rookie, but has had plenty of warts. Latang struggled. Marino struggled. You know, it's like CC's been good relative to what we expected. Matheson has just been an insane roller coaster ride where every time he does something amazing, he follows it up with something incredibly stupid five seconds later. Like, I, I really am not, uh, you know, confident picking any particular Penguins defenseman as, as having been a standout this year. I don't know if you guys feel any different. Uh, I think we can kind of agree with it. It's a pretty fair sentiment, especially because there's really not been anybody that has stood out 
in a good sense. There's been people that have stood out in a bad sense, but in a good sense, no, nobody has really been head and shoulders above anybody else. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Would would Chad Verriedel kind of roll as just a uh, as a de facto answer for this, as we really don't have a good answer overall? Yeah, I, I mean, I you know you're not you're not going to find a better a bigger Chad Ruedel fan than me. Uh, I, I have a tough time declaring Chad Ruedel the uh, the MVP on defense, but uh, I mean, in terms of people playing their roles well, it really has been kind of him and CC have been the two that have done. You know, I guess recall it before he got hurt are kind of the two that have done everything that you could ask for them to do as depth defensemen. Uh, but it is a little depressing to to name Chad Ruedel as your most impressive defenseman. It just ha- we just had to get a name, maybe just for the people. But uh, Tristan Jari, I mean, talk about just random names that um, have had themselves interesting seasons to so far. But you know, but um, by your metrics, is he a good goalie compared to the rest of the league, or is uh, he still have work to do? Uh, he's he's recovering. I think is probably the the fairest way to put it. Uh, if you'd asked me about a month, you know, I guess a month ago would have been like right, you know, two weeks into the season. Uh, if you'd asked me maybe a couple of weeks ago, you know, he was looking like right at the bottom of the league, like in, in kind of any goalie stat that that takes into account the kind of quality of shots you're facing or, or anything like that. You know, Jari was right there at the bottom, often joined by you know Matt Murray, uh, which would have made for some entertaining discussions. But you know, to his credit. Uh, he has pulled himself out of the basement. He's not in the bottom 10 anymore. He's still definitely not where you'd like him to be. But I, I think it points to uh, some good improvement, maybe some some positive regression. And, and I think a, a vindication for people who I think said that we should wait a little while before completely pulling the panic switch on the goaltending. Because, you know, I, I think you're probably pretty relieved that you – decided to just run the course and recognize that he was probably not the worst goalie in the league before running out and making a, you know, Jonathan quick sized mistake that locked up your cap. Yeah. I mean, you had mentioned it already. I just need to throw this question out right now. Is Matt Murray actually a bad goalie or is, or are the senators just bad around him? What's that situation looking like? So if I remember correctly, I like, I, I just posted, Today, the leaderboards and whatever the opposite of a leaderboard is for goal saved above expected. Uh, as far as I can remember, Murray was either at the bottom or like second last or third last. Like he is even relative to the chances that the Senators are allowing against him. Like he has been very, very poor this season. And, uh, you know, I, I think we had this conversation the last time. He was, you know, the worst goalie in the league last year in, in terms of guys who, who played starting minutes on their team. You know, this is two years in a row where he's been right there at the bottom, and, and you do kind of wonder how many excuses you can really pile up for the guy. Yeah. We talk a lot about defense, and, and for the Penguins, it is – or about goaltenders, and for the Penguins, it is a lot to do with their defense. And we already talked a little bit about the fact that we don't have any anybody that is standing out effectively, but injuries has had a little bit – to do with it they've used i believe 12 or 13 defensemen at this point into the season only 20 games in but eventually you would have to hope they get healthy and with that there is going to be an odd man out who do you think for the penguins the odd man out would be and is there a trade to be made with that person yeah i, I do kind of wonder what they're going to end up doing there because they do have just so many bodies on defense you know you always kind of recognize that Yusuf Rikla is is going to be the odd man out just because for whatever reason this organization doesn't seem to value him that much you know i mean you kind of go up and down the line like like matheson is unmovable and they're going to keep him in the lineup 
Uh, and, and I think he's playing in such a way that, uh, you know, he's making it easy for them to keep him in the lineup. I do. The big kind of question for me is what ends up happening with uh, with Marcus Pedersen. Like he is kind of the the factor for me of not only, you know, what's his role on this team moving forward, what's his spot on the team, uh, but also I think a broader question of like if, if Ron Hextall and, and Brian Burke want to make a move, they really don't have a lot of room to make one. Like they, like the guys that they could theoretically move, like, you know, you know, they're not going to move Gensel. They're probably not going to move Rust or Marino or, or any of those guys. Like Pedersen really stands out to me as a guy that theoretically, you know, they could move in a hockey trade. And I wonder whether that might be something that comes up, but for the time being, it's probably just going to be the usual, you know, Rico and Ruedel and, whoever just ends up getting punted out of the lineup. That's fair. I mean, we have a hell of a defensive core right now. It is just, plus with Mark Friedman getting added to it, it's, we keep adding names into it. Um, How much do you uh, have on Mark Friedman, actually? Do you have any statistics or numbers in his 11 game career season so far? Yeah, I've got I've got literally nothing for you. Like I yeah. <laughs> literally like when he when he got claimed, it was like I have never heard of this person in my entire life, and uh, that has barely changed since. Uh, I, I, we haven't, you know, been been given much of a of a spotlight on him so far. Hopefully, he's competent enough. I mean, clearly Hextall, you know, knows him from having drafted him. You know, maybe he can be like a bottom pair defensive defenseman. But yeah, I you know. My hopes aren't aren't too high for him, other than hopefully like right-handed defenseman who can function on the ice without being a liability. But uh, I, who knows? Maybe he's the maybe he's the next Ruedel. We never know. I don't think he could be any better than the Yannick Weber experiment that happened a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, which I was I was disappointed to learn was not uh, Rutherford's last act before leaving. Apparently, uh, my my insider sources told me that uh, he was on the verge of making a different deal for a defenseman, and then uh, he got you know resigned after that, and then it was kind of a quick panic move for the uh, for for Patrick Alvin to just grab whatever defenseman was on the table, and that was uh, Yannick Weber. Makes a little bit more sense when you put it that way. <laughs> Yeah, if I was a Hall of Fame general manager, my final act would not be to sign Yannick Weber to an NHL contract, I don't think. No, not at all, not at all. Um, But anyways, as we're still on defensemen, I mean, we've said that uh, Cody Ceci has looked good. We said that Patterson might be the odd man out, but Matheson, we you said, looked has had a roller coaster of a season, and hell, this, his roller coasters are happening within games. Um, has his play at least looked decent overall? And if so, is that going to be sustainable for him considering he is one of the most expensive defensemen on defensemen in this lineup and one of the longest tenured? I, I think he's certainly going to end up being one of the longest tenured unless uh, something dramatic and unlikely happens. Uh, you know, the, the results aren't, aren't like the underlying results aren't good. I think they're about in line with, with what could have been expected to him uh, in terms of kind of, looking below average offensively and defensively in terms of play driving. Uh, but I, I think it's just what you said, like the, you know, it's, it's within games. I mean, uh, when I looked at Matheson before the season started, what I saw was a guy who did not seem to fit with how the Penguins liked their defenseman to play in terms of his adventurousness, uh, how much he likes to carry the puck in the offensive zone, all that kind of stuff really just didn't line up with the Mike Sullivan system. And I was thinking, you know, are they going to like try to 
finesse this guy, like like turn him into kind of a more conservative, like puck moving defenseman instead of a you know puck carrying one. And the answer was no. Like he is playing exactly how he wants to play, exactly how he played in Florida, and it has 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 had every benefit and every weakness associated with that. Like he's carrying pucks deep into the offensive zone. You know, ten percent of the time he makes a improbably elite looking play that ends up on a, a stick in the slot. Ninety percent of the time he turns it over or flings it nowhere or or does some other nonsense with it. You know, he, he's he's making great reads, defending the blue line, but then sometimes he gets blocked. Like it really is kind of on a shift to shift basis, you have absolutely no idea what you're gonna get with him, which at least is a little bit more exciting to watch than than Jack Johnson was, where you just kind of knew that you were gonna be hitting your head into a brick wall every shift. Uh, you know, I mean, he he plays the the right way in terms of he's speedy and, and all that kind of stuff. And he's, he's a little fun to watch and, and he does have that kind of spark of creativity, but I, I can see that act getting a little bit old uh, later on in the season and over the next uh, four or five or six years or whatever it is that he's got left. It's a lot. <laughs> How much, too, of Mike Matheson's mistakes have been covered up? Because a lot of Penguins' Twitter right now are not, you know, they're not really getting on Mike Matheson as much as they had been earlier in the season. But how much of it is when he plays with John Marino? Marino is able to kind of shorten the amount of issues we have with Mike Matheson's game because we don't see it as much. Yeah, I mean, that is kind of an ideal pairing if if it can work. Uh, Marino has not been quite as impressive as he was uh, last year, especially defensively speaking. Uh, and I think in, in part that is due to kind of some unfair deployments, you know, him having to play his, off, his offside for a while, him being subbed on the top pair, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and I think part of it is probably that he is kind of playing, you know, I, I think there's a, a little bit more adventurousness to his game that maybe he's not quite ready for. Uh, you know, if he can make it work with Matheson, then I like the combination. But the, I, the thing for Matheson right now, and I feel like maybe, you know, I'm, I'm not as clued into Penguin's Twitter, um, you know, the the efforts that he's making are generally paying off right now. And, you know, he, he made that great pass that led to a goal. You know, he had a great play where he broke up a four-on-two at the blue line. You know, those are the kinds of things that especially when they get, you know, clipped in, in, into gifts and stuff end up looking really, really good. Uh, you know, watching him, I, I think that there have been certainly definitely like some some instances where he has made mistakes that maybe don't necessarily tr translate into a goal against, although I, I, many of them have. Uh, I, I would I mean, you know, I guess the baseline of expectations was so low to him, so low for him. And I think a lot of people, when they saw you know, the Mike Matheson acquisition and, and the contract and everything, you know, I think they probably had it in their heads that they were getting another Jack Johnson. And the fact that Matheson is more exciting and physically gifted and exciting to watch than Johnson, I, I think that that has probably, you know, sated a lot of people who were expecting to, to, to see something a lot visibly worse. Something that's not visibly worse, though. I, I don't I don't mean to just completely shift from the defense on, but you say something that's visibly worse, and visibly, Brandon Tanev, he passes the eye test every day and twice on Sunday, but does his impact 
does it meet the level that we all believe it does when we watch it? Or, or does his impact kind of falter whenever you look at some of the underlying statistics and some of the underlying numbers? Do they support the way that we see him just with the eye test? I So I think that, that it actually, and, and this is, I think, a, a good unintentional segue that you've done from, from Matheson to Tanev. Not in that kind of Tanev is, is a similar type of player to Matheson, but I think that there is kind of a similar thing going on where uh, I think the expectations were so low and people were so mad at, at JR about that contract when it was signed that, you know, the fact that Tanev is an effective player, I think has led a little bit to him getting overrated in some circles. Uh, you know, I, he is what he is. He's a, he's a very effective defensive player. Like his, his defensive metrics are, have been historically very strong. Uh, early on this year, they're not necessarily quite as strong, but that might just be a small sample thing. Um, and, and, you know, he, he's a guy who doesn't generate a lot of offense at all, whose speed is mostly focused on things like puck retrievals and four checking uh, and doesn't really translate to scoring chances. You know, he's a perfectly fine fourth liner, you know, maybe a third liner, uh, potentially surrounded by the right people. Uh, you know, I, I think that he plays a, a style that's very appealing to watch and, and also, you know, I, I think very fan favorite ready. Like he, he kind of combines that grit with speed in a way that is very, uh, very enjoyable for, for people to watch and, and, you know, for people to, uh, to decide to get Brandon Tanner jerseys because he's like the heart and soul fan favorite. Uh, you know, I don't think he's the best player in the world, but he's certainly added an element to that fourth line and, or, or third line or whatever it's going to be that, uh, that is effective and, and part of what makes it a, a big line, even if I wouldn't necessarily say that he's, you know, this kind of elite bottom six player that I think some people do. And the thing with Tanev is that when Mike Sullivan decides to hit shuffle on the lines, he's a guy that gets pushed to play with Crosby or play with Malkin. It's, I mean, how does, does, could his game affect um, those two lines in a positive way? Or is it just Mike Sullivan making them, making a move to change things up? Yeah, I mean, I think when you have a player like that who brings kind of a, you know, energy, forechecking, you know, throwing the body around kind of thing, you know, and if they have speed, then that is something that's going to be, uh, you know, a, a default shaking things up move. You know, I don't think that that shakeup usually involves kind of better offensive outcomes for either of those players. Like, I think that there is a good reason that you don't see Crosby and, and Tanev as a duo too often, at least not, you know, to start games, you know, occasionally you'll see those shifts, like you mentioned, uh, you know, I, like Tanev is not a very creative player. I, you know, I don't think he's a, a good passer. He doesn't have a very good shot. Uh, you know, what he has is the, is the speed and the forechecking. And that's definitely an element that's valuable in the bottom six and, and can occasionally be good to kind of get a bit of a spark when, uh, when things are looking flat as the Penguins so often do. Uh, but, you know, I, I think the Penguins will, probably be in a tough spot the day that they end up inevitably with uh, Brandon Tanev as a full-time fixture on a, on a first or second line. That's, I mean, if he can play well, I don't care, but I mean, if he's not playing well, then that's just not where he should be. But I mean, unless Berlinski has any more um, team stuff, I got a, got a big question about uh, from around the league that I just want more opinions on. Berlinski, you all good? Yeah, I'm good. Shoot. All right. Um, so there have been there's been a ton of talk throughout the year so far that the North Division, um, despite how high flying and how uh, great the players may look, that it's 
very not good at the same time. Um, what exactly are your thoughts on the North Division, on this Scotia North that is either... I think it's just a lot of top-heavy teams. That's kind of the way I see it. Yeah, I, th- I think things have gone about how we expected them to go, uh, with, with maybe, a little, maybe a little bit more kind of cartoonishly. But, uh, I, I mean, you had a, a, a division that had some of the best offensive players in the league. Uh, coincidentally, the, some of them who uh, did not have great defensive uh, reputations. Uh, in a division that had a lot of teams like Winnipeg and Ottawa, uh, that that specific and, and Edmonton that specifically struggled defensively, I, I think this was pretty predictable going in, and, and that's exactly what's happened. You know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that that the North is kind of, you know, super easy or or just like a, a totally different league from everybody else. Uh, the biggest difference is comes in kind of scoring chances. Like those games are a lot more high octane. Like if you look at how teams rank in terms of the number of scoring chances they're generating at five on five. Uh, like I, I'm pretty sure that every team except for the Winnipeg Jets is in the top half of the league uh, in terms of uh, in terms of generating scoring chances, which is not something that you often see in a division. Uh, and I think it's kind of counteracted by uh, I think the East Division in particular is, has been kind of very low uh, low event, which uh, would be kind of the term that you'd use when it comes down to the actual goals being scored. You know, there, it certainly has been the, the highest scoring division. Uh, but when you kind of translate that to, you know, let's say point totals, like a couple of weeks ago, I, I, out of curiosity, did a kind of adjustment for points so far this season, where I basically just used kind of the, the different goals rates across divisions to, uh, to mess with uh, players' point totals just to see, you know, like how much, how inflated are, are McDavid and, and, Matthew's point totals just from playing in the North. And it really only was a swing of like, like one or two points for, for almost anybody like at, at the highest. So, you know, it's not like it's a totally different league, but definitely there's a, a lot more scoring chances uh, going on in, in the North than anywhere else. So that's really interesting. Cause I've heard some takes that to the point of um, some of the people who vote on like the, you know, the league MVP would have a hard time voting for a guy like Matthews or McDavid because they're playing in a in an easier division. And I mean, if it's all relatively the same, it's you know it kind of takes away from those takes that I've heard. But because um, I heard a take like that where I forget who it was exactly, but they said they if they had to and like if McMatthews was the far and away MVP, he would vote for him. But he just has a harder time doing it because of how different the North looks this year. Yeah, I will. I I will go ahead and, and predict that the opposite will happen. I think that you're going to see a lot of awards concentrated around the uh, around the North Division, just because. Yeah, but you know, like personally, as a as a fan in Toronto, and, and I'm a Penguins fan, uh, I've watched vastly more North Division hockey this year than uh, than anything yeah. else. It, it has been the most exciting division to watch, not only because, like I said, kind of the the more scoring chances and stuff going on, but you know, I mean, like they're like these are kind of deeper rivalries than a lot of what's going on in in other divisions, and uh, you know, there's there's a lot of talent going around, and and I feel like a lot of NHL writers are probably going to feel the same way, and if you end up with a situation where you know McDavid is leading the league in scoring by 20 points, and Matthews is is leading the league in goals by 10, I, I think that the, the decisions are going to be pretty easy, and there's not going to be a lot that's going to really stand in their way. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you giving us your time and all of your insight as always is top notch. 
let our listeners know before we let you go. Let them know where they can find you on social media and anything that you have coming up in the way of content. Sure. So uh, if, if you listen to my interview last time, uh, a lot has changed since then in terms of uh, where I'm releasing stuff. Uh, I, I am a uh, contributor to uh, EP Rinkside, uh, which is uh, Elite Prospects uh, NHL analysis page. Uh, you can read my content there. Uh, I actually have a piece coming up later this week where I am going to make the Sydney Crosby MVP case. So uh, that will be uh, hopefully of interest. Uh, you can find my far too frequent tweets uh, on, on Twitter at, at, at JFreshHockey. Uh, and then you can find all of the uh, pretty hockey data visualizations that I make uh, on Patreon, uh, which is also under the name JFreshHockey. Awesome. Well, one last time, thank you again for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, fellas. What's up, everybody? It's Jaren from the Hockey Podcast Network's newest show, the Windy City Benders Podcast. My co-host Tanner and I bring our unique takes on Blackhawks hockey. Us on the show have been a, a pro Carlton guy. For He's the right coach for the situation. Giving it to our rivals. That's one of the things that kind of sucks. I wish we would have had the Blues in our division this year because our trash. As well as bringing in some guests from the NHL. Please welcome to the show, goaltender Scott Darling. The Eagle himself, Ed Belfort. Brian Bickle. David Boland. Letter Kenny. The, the show started out with uh, basically a, a beer league hockey team. And anybody who loves the game. Find us on all your favorite podcast apps, the Hockey Podcast Network website, and on social media at WCB Podcasts. Huge shout out again to Jay Fresh for joining the show. We always welcome his opinions. We always love having him on the show. That is his second appearance. So we'll definitely keep an eye out in the future for his hat trick, his third appearance. But let's finish off the show with our shout outs and call outs segment. Horwat, who are you shouting out this week? Uh, whether you think he should shoot more on the two on one or not, I'm shouting out of Kenny Malkin just for being all the way back. Finally, it's what we've been waiting for. It's what we've been dying to see. Even if he's not scoring every shot he takes like we want, uh, he looks fast. He looks like he's, you know, skating a lot better. He looks like he's playing with more confidence. And, you know, I don't have much much to say on it other than he just looks like he's all the way back, and a lot of people also agree with that. I think Josh, he always said that he is all the way back and just is playing faster and playing better. Yeah, he might not be scoring to the pace we want him to, you know, he's still not a point per game. He might not reach it given how slow his start was, but it's something. It is something big for the team at this point of the season. So just I'm keeping my shout out short and sweet to Evgeny Malkin, the fact that he is hopefully at least it's just been a good couple of games, but hopefully it stays that way. Looks, looks and seems to be all the way back to where we want him. I would even give you credit for saying it was the whole last homestand that yeah. he's played well and and actually a little bit before that as well so it, it's it's good to see and it obviously it's the epitome of you love to see it if you're a mm -hmm. Pittsburgh fans fan oh, my shout out this week goes to the Minnesota Wild kind of quietly becoming a powerhouse in the West division they're third in the West right now in the standing second when you talk about points percentage Kirill Kaprizov yep. is leading the team in scoring with six goals and 19 points and easily starting to run away with the Calder votes, I would guess. There's no votes yet, but he's running away with the Calder conversation. 
And then Kapo Kakinen, their goaltender, one of their two goaltenders, but definitely the better of their two goaltenders right now. He's 10 and four on the year, a 213 goals allowed average and a 924 save percentage. Kids playing well. And, and Cam Talbot, who you said is their biggest question mark, he hasn't played bad necessarily either. His numbers are pretty decent. So shout out to the Minnesota Wild. They're, they're doing it up for, up there. And, you know, having Nick Bugstad and Nick Benino, it helps to have former Penguins, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what it helps. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the definite two words of that are Kirill Kaprizov. And, oh, yeah, you said Cam Talbot's 4-4-1, four, four, and one, put Capo Kaganen 10-4-0. Oh. Wow. He's a rookie too, isn't he? He played a couple games last year. I'm not sure exactly what his status is, whether it's rookie or not. Okay. Yeah, things are just flowing for them. Players to watch. Come on, I want the leaders on this team. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that team became a quiet monster in the matter of a couple of months. Um, I don't think anyone really expected them to be massive. I don't think anyone expected Kaprizov to pop off immediately like that. <laughs> But he should be fun to watch for the next, definitely the rest of the season, definitely going forward. And yeah, the Wild are one of those teams that, you know, need to be involved in the discussion when it comes to around the league talk. And I'm sure they're going to be somebody that we talk about a lot with the second half of the season coming up now. And the big thing for them is, guess who hasn't played a single game yet for them? The one guy that we talked about saying, this guy could take him to the next level. And that's their draft pick from this year, Marco Rossi. He had some oh, yeah. issues with COVID. Yep. He yep. has yet to play a single NHL game. Who I have no idea whether or not his status is anywhere close to returning. But he hasn't played a game. And Minnesota is still being very impressive in that Western division. So who knows? They have a chance to make the playoffs this year. I don't know if they necessarily make any noise this year, but they're definitely a team that's on the rise. So shout out to the wild and shout out to Billy Garen for really turning that entire organization around and kind of just the culture of that organization around in just a few short years. Yeah. I kind of forgot about the Billy Garen thing and the Rossi thing. Um, When it comes to the Marco Rossi thing, I just, if, if you genuinely think he's NHL ready right now and he gets healthy, go ahead and play him. I just say, shelve him for the year he's young don't ruin anything now let him get healthy let him rest up let him come into a full season too yeah get a full training camp under his belt really see what he's about um obviously that's a shitty shitty situation for him but um unless you think he's nhl ready once he's healthy again i just leave him out for the year because you're playing pretty good without him and you know you don't want to tarnish anything with how bright of a future he has all right, Horrod, who's your call out for this week? Man, well, I love that the fans are back and I love that they're being passionate, but y'all, I'm calling you guys, the Penguins fans out, all 2,800 of you, or at least the ones that did for booing Jack Johnson. Really? <laughs> I get it. You didn't like him. I didn't like him. Um, and it's great that you're back, but it's, it's you know, since we're going to bring ESPN back into this, come on, man. <laughs> You gotta boo Jack Johnson like that. Guess what? He scored on you. He got the last laugh. You guys ended up winning, so you get the last laugh. So there's that. I don't know. Just it's like giving the old Bronx cheer to Matt Murray. It's just not something you should be doing. I mean, 
for those that were there, did he get the old return package? The thank you for your hard work, Jack Johnson. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Well, he um, already had a game. Okay, he okay. had already played in Pittsburgh. Okay. Before. Um. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing: when it comes to booing guys, I get why you do it. I get it. you. You you have that right. You paid the money to be there. Um, it's just that was just a weird situation to boo Jack Johnson because he scored on you. It's like Yager. He did so much work for you, and you booed him for ages on ages. Um, but did, whoa, did did you just somehow try to make a connection between Jack Johnson and Yarmir Yager? I know they're both double J's. There but it come is, on, man. Come on, man. Um, <laughs> no, I not necessarily a connection, but I mean, just we are very adamant about booing people. Yeah, and this one was just a weird one. I don't fully disagree with it, but you just got to know when to do it when he scores on you is not the time because at the time that was a huge play for him to absolutely one up the team that is currently still paying him. I saw a tweet that said the penguins literally paid for that goal against. And (laughs) and guess what? They're not wrong because you're not wrong. Yeah. So you got to know the situation again, you have the right to boo people. Mm -hmm. I've booed people. I booed Carter Hart all like the entire game. Whenever I was there, a few de- uh, last week um that in that situation you don't do it if you boom like whenever he's getting his return video package sure i guess it's a little unclassy but so is this so he had the at the moment jack johnson had the last laugh and you don't boo in his face like that yeah i think the the final thing is do what you want but no what's try right to wrong. be better yeah you try to be better like you don't have to boot just root on your own team if you want to boo somebody else i get it i've booed people but like yeah do it either jokingly or, there's some people that take it way too far but i i won't go into that and i'm also probably in the minority when it comes to this saying that's a not good thing it because again that's just a few thousand fans maybe it was just like a handful that just so happened to make a ton of noise in that stadium because there's not a lot of people there yeah, maybe. But still, Josh Joey tweeted a video of it, so, you know. I don't know. I mean, Penn's fans are Penn's fans. I get it. Yeah, fans are going to boo. That's kind we're of a, a fact we're, of life. We're a, bit of a, we're a bit of a wild card sometimes. Yeah, you never know what you're going to get. But my call out to finish off the show goes to NHL player safety, who is probably used to getting called out by every corner of the universe at this point. I mean, Tom Wilson gets suspended for seven games for – being tom wilson that's pretty much what it was that's what it i mean nobody came out and said that specifically but in layman's terms yeah they kind of did they kind of said listen if it was not tom wilson we probably wouldn't have suspended for that hit but since it was we're going to suspend him seven games and listen i don't particularly like tom wilson as a player i it just because the way he plays he's a good player he makes stupid plays like this the reason that he continues to do things like this is because they do stuff like that at the nhl player safety and then you see the hit that dante fabro had on brock mcginn on tuesday night he's currently today as we're recording this gonna have a hearing with nhl player safety i'm interested to see what penalty he gets because what he did to mcginn was a thousand times worse than what Tom Wilson did to Brandon Carlo. So I want to see how they weigh previous experience with NHL player safety and previous incidents. 
Tom Wilson for being Tom Wilson gets seven games for what he did. And yeah, there was there was head contact, whether it was intentional or not. I can't speak to that. Uh, I'm not going to talk about that hit anymore. We've talked a lot about Tom Wilson the past two weeks, but Dante Fabros was awful. It that is what you want to take out of the game. What what Fabro did to Brock McGinn. So I was hoping by the time we'd get to this that it would come out, but it hasn't yet. Uh, by the time this episode comes out i'm sure there will be an answer to that but it's going to be interesting to see and i just i just want to call out nhl player safety simply because their inconsistencies are the reason that this game still has dangerous hits like that oh yeah i mean nhl player safety has been inconsistent for ages and we've all known this i think the interesting thing with the tom wilson one was that he was i don't know how this is a rule how he was technically no longer considered a repeat offender yeah, I'm not. I don't know how there should be a statute of limitations on yeah delivering hits like that. There shouldn't be. But so in because technically he was suspended for because he wasn't a repeat offender technically, and because on the ice it was a clean hit. Yeah, he kind of just got like you said suspended for just for being Tom Wilson. I don't know. It's. The inconsistencies are wild. They're inconsistent within with within players too. I mean, also think about the fact that that was the second game in a row they had to discipline someone from the Capitals. Yeah, that's whenever that's Troll thing. decided to call that Ovechkin thing five thousand dollars well worth it. Um, well, is it seven games well worth it now, bud? <laughs> Trolls brought, wild sometimes. God you, damn, you brought the bud. <laughs> Love him, but man, he's yeah. I mean, that's the identity of the Capitals. They're they're a grinding team, and eventually, that is going to cross a line, and they do, and they pay for it. I'm sure Ovechkin paid his five thousand dollars the second he got notified, and I'm sure Tom Wilson. You saw he didn't appeal this one because (laughs) how are you going to appeal being yourself? Hey, we suspended you because of your your you because of a hit. Uh, I don't know how to appeal that because i am me so i listen, you know the nhl probably... player safety is a joke so i i don't blame tom wilson for playing that system because it's an easy system to play yeah honestly this uh, this appeal process may have been a lot easier than the, his old ones this appeal is yeah. just on what grounds are you suspending me for i'm no longer a repeat offender it wasn't a uh, penalty on the play okay yeah he went to the hospital that night um but he went to the he... hospital for a lot of things exactly so it's a um, dangerous game exactly so in hindsight he probably had more of a case to appeal this one than any other but yeah and it's weird because it's starting to sound like we're coming into the defense of tom wilson so i think we should cut this episode off Uh, i'll pull those (laughs) tweets back up that i got sent i was kidding Uh, yeah yeah. we're good though (laughs) all right well that's gonna do it for this episode we hope everybody enjoyed our interview with jay fresh and we hope everybody enjoyed the episode as a whole Horwat, any last words before we let the folks go for the weekend? Uh, boo Jack Johnson at the correct time. That's it. Well, unfortunately, whenever he's not play the Rangers in Pittsburgh anymore. So whenever he is on your team, you can boo him. Oh, we did plenty of that to stockpile <laughs> for the rest of my lifetime. But it's going to be a great weekend, at least where I'm at. I, I think it's going to be a great weekend where you're at, Horwat, and wherever you are. I hope it is a great weekend. Whether it is or not, weather-wise, make it a great weekend personal-wise. We'll see you guys next week. You can follow us on Twitter at Nick Horwat 41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. 
This podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from, so please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can visit them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com. Every team, everywhere.